All right, good morning. Um, if you weren't here at the very beginning, this tree has nothing to do with the service. Don't look for um, some kind of... Actually, if you find some kind of metaphor with it, I guess use it. It's just not intentional, all right? Yeah, it's impressive in its way. It has a way about it. Um, so let's do this. Let's do this. Uh, turn to Acts 19, because that's where we are these days. Working our way through Acts the last decade. And um, that's not true. Like a year and a little. Um, but does someone want to give a quick um, rundown of the end of chapter 18? To kind of catch us up. Anyone? I love everyone's pensive face. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I should pray about that and see. Oh, my goodness, what thing? Get out of here with your pensive face, Allison. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> and you and Caitlin have the best one. Caitlin, every time there's a quick show, oh, God. Like, I love it. It's good. It's okay. It's good. Well, it's okay. <laughs> Anyone? Anyone remember what happens at the end of 18? Where are they? Let's do that. Okay, good. And then from there they go back to... So Paul has this thing that he wants to fulfill. Does anyone remember what it is? Yes, he has a vow. And then he has to shave, right? He shaves his beard and his hair. And he goes and he takes the beard and hair to... um, Yes, to Jerusalem, right? To fulfill his vow and say, this year I have given you of this vow... Now it is yours, right? Kind of this, and that's overly simplistic of what that vow entails, but that's what they're doing, right? And then what else? What's he do from there? Okay. Which is, why does he go to Antioch? We remember? He does. John is not wrong. See, you can answer kind of whatever, and I'll help you be sort of right, because that is very right. He wants to go there. <laughs> what else? Where did he start, like, this sounds bad. When does he start gathering and attending a church of people? Where was that? At Antioch. Right. But no, he goes from there, though. He goes to <laughs> Ephesus. Okay? And in Ephesus, who does he meet? Or on the way to Ephesus, who does he meet? Him and a couple, Priscilla and Aquila, meet someone. Oh, Apollos. Apollos, right? And what's the, what's the deal with Apollos? Yes-ish. Yes-ish. That's exactly right. So he, Apollos is this guy who is an, uh, he is, oh wait, where is he from again? Do we know? Alexandria. Yes, thank you. Because I, I was forgetting. So thank you. I appreciate that. See, if I forget the story, I'll just ask you. He's from Alexandria. Um, he's a typical Alexandrian. Um, you know, the Library of Alexandria is this beautiful thing in the ancient world. Um, he's very learned, very educated. Uh, and a wonderfully like, gifted speaker. They even say about him, they say that he is boiling with the Spirit. So he, he's like this enthusiastic, kind of overflowing type of individual. So when he speaks, when he talks with people, when he discusses, when he debates, he is apparently boiling with Spirit. So um, Priscilla and Aquila get this guy, he's, he's a younger man, and they get him and they say, look, 
this is, this is wonderful. We think you're a, a, a wonderful human being. We want you with us, but we also need to teach you kind of the rest of the story. Here, let's, let's explain, and it says, the full gospel to him. So they begin, this couple begins to say, okay, let's explain to you what you're missing of the gospel. Come with us and go to Ephesus, okay? So that's kind of how, that, how the story in 18 kind of doesn't end, but that's where we let off, and then we'll start in chapter 19. This is what it says. And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, <clears throat> Paul passed through the, uh, through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Then he, there he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to him, Well, into what then were you baptized? And they say, Well, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe and one that was to come after him, that's Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about twelve men in all. And he entered the synagogue, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some of them were stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, Before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skins were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them. This story is, we're, we're diverging into an interesting story here, by the way. Just heads up, if we didn't know this is what was happening. The evil spirit answers them. Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered them all, overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who are now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found that it was about 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So <clears throat> we have the story in just kind of a succession of what happens in Ephesus. But, but before we get into those things, um, what do we know about Ephesus? Does anyone know? Just what are some things you may have heard? Let's give a background of where they are. What, what is this place like? Anyone know? It's a port city. It is a port city. Um, interesting thing about this port city um, is it's, it's not a very convenient port. Uh, as, as it got settled, <clears throat> uh, there was this one main port from this river that came, because it's an inland, it's an inland city. Um, the port, as it would come down hill, obviously, towards Ephesus, it would develop um, huge silt deposits. And so it would almost dam up the port. And so they would have to either dredge it out, which at the time would be a serious undertaking to dredge a river in the ancient day. It's not like 
You don't take your excavator out and just dredge really quickly on the flotation devices you have built for your excavator. That's just not how it works. You don't bring a barge crane and do that. It's, it's a serious task. Or what they would do is just move the city more upriver. And they did this numerous times. And finally, um, I think, and, and again, it, this is sort of debatable, around the 12th century, they just kind of gave up on that. And we're like, we're just moving way away. We're not doing this anymore. We're not going to continue to move the city, rebuild parts of the city, or dredge the thing. But that's, that's what they did. Um, also, it was one of the bigger cities in the ancient world. It was about 250,000 people, which is larger than, I mean, any city in North or South Dakota, number one, and it's just a pretty big place. That's, it's a lot of people that live there, okay? That's a very, very large city in general, especially for the ancient world, okay? What else? What else do we know about Ephesus? A lot of wealth in Ephesus, but why? Why would there be a lot of wealth in Ephesus? Do we know? The Roman road goes through Ephesus, and a major portion of the Roman road, um, part of the reason was to take it there. Uh, Ephesus was that important and influential. Uh, the Roman road is one of the like four ways Rome actually succeeded in the ancient world. Um, Pax Romana, um, I'm going to miss them all, so I'm just going to give up at Pax Romana. But there were four things. One of them is the road, and it was wonderful. What else? About a lot of wealth. Anything else? There's a major temple there to... Do what? Wonderful. Okay, so this, this temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was something like... Um, mm, I'm going to miss this one, too. I want to say it was four times the size of the Pantheon, but I'm, I'm not sure on that anymore. So it, again, very big deal. People would come all over just to see a marvel of engineering in the ancient world, and the fact that it was a temple, people would come there to worship. Okay? Um, and we're going to see in a story just after, like next week's story, um, that temple alone brought in an economy that only Ephesus could claim, and we'll, we'll talk about that next week. But a few major things like that. So I think, I think that's probably... Enough. It was diverse. It was a very Roman city, so it was super diverse. Um, and we find that out as well. But Ephesus is a very, again, happening place. This is a major, major city. All right? So it's not like a town of 10,000 people where they could all know each other. This is, this is a very modern in their day, um, extra modern city. So Paul gets there and does what he normally does, right? Goes to the synagogue. And when he's at the synagogue, he meets these people that, that are followers of, of this way, and they're trying to grapple with what they know. Because, again, like a lot of us, we, we come to this context of Christianity, or we come to this context of being a follower of Jesus, or the kingdom of heaven, or whatever term you want to use for that, and we have some sort of knowledge about that, and so we go based on what we know. And these, these disciples are going with we understand there is a baptism. And what is that baptism that they understand again? John the Baptist. Which again, is explained here, but what is the baptism of John the Baptist? What did that bring about? It brought about repentance. And I want us to to pause on this because this is incredibly important for us. Because we see it everywhere and we see it in our own lives. We get, and I don't, I want to use the right terms, we get very caught on this baptism of repentance. And I think it's, it's a lot of reasons for that. First of all, I know I need it very much. I mean, I know my life, and I know myself, 
I know what I present to the world, and I know who I really am, right? And so, to me, John the Baptist's baptism of repentance is very important because I know I have much repenting to do. There's much conviction with me. I know at all times, I feel like Jonah last week when he was like, I feel like one day I'll be grown and not sin the same as I did when I was 25 and my attitude towards people, right? I'm with him on that. I'm like, yeah, I, I will one day grow up as well, and that'll be awesome. And we'll see when that happens. And hopefully it'll be before my children. And that'll be great. And I think a lot of us know that. And I don't know, I, I know some of you in talking with you when you first were a part of us or even, you know, two weekends ago or whatever else. I think a lot of us see Christianity or see this following of Jesus very guilt-ridden or very heavy with that. I don't know if it was taught to us as kids in a way that, probably was, I would say, very damaging or incorrect, whatever word we're going to use for it. There's other words for it that are not shareable because my wife would scold me. But there's words for that. And I feel like because of some of our backgrounds, because of the way things were taught to us, or because our knowledge is incomplete, all we know is this baptism of repentance. And we know we fall short, or we fail, or we're disappointing, or whatever else, and we know that we need to repent. We know that we don't measure up, and so we say we're sorry, or we say, please, let's start again, or we do these things. And while that is appropriate, and in many times wonderful and life-giving, there is more to the story than that. And people didn't understand it then, and we struggle to understand it now. And Paul gets to this place, and he has these wonderful people these calls them disciples before they even know more than that. They're wonderful. They're doing everything they can. They are laboring for this cause. But all they know is, I'm so glad I was, baptism, I was baptized into repentance. And that is what they know. That is, that is on them constantly. That is on their back, this baptism of repentance. And Paul says, wait, but did you know there's more? They say, more than what? He says, well, what do you know of baptism? What baptism are you talking about that you enjoyed? And they said, well, the baptism of John the Baptist, the baptism of repentance. And he says, oh, there's, there's so much more than that. There's, there's this thing about being baptized into the name of Jesus himself, into the family of him, into his representation to the world. You get to be baptized into the representation of Jesus to the known world. And they say, well, then we should do that thing. That sounds very great. And he says, and then even, even more than that, I'm going to put my hands on you, and we'll, we'll talk about how there is a Holy Spirit. It says they don't even know there is a Holy Spirit. He says, no, there's a Holy Spirit that goes with you so that as you are Jesus' representation of the world, you now also take within you Jesus' power, his company, and everything about the life of Jesus that was offered to the world is now offered through you as well. And when they're baptized into that, they're overwhelmed and begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. It just kind of overwhelms their body, Right? They don't, they don't have control of that, it seems, even, or they share control of that. And so it's, I just want us to know in the very beginning, we're going to get to a different portion of this, but we, I think, need to be reminded as a church of that pretty consistently. Is that there's not just for you a baptism of repentance, although there is, and although it's important, and although you need slash needed it slash will need it, that's fine, and it's wonderful, and it's appropriate and good. But there is also this life of Jesus, this we are his representative and we go with Jesus himself. We go with the Holy Spirit into the world every day. There is also that washing over us at all moments 
for all of our circumstances, no matter where we are, that is available and is asking to be pushed with us. We have to remember that as a body. It is more than just feeling bad where you fail. So much more than that. And Paul is excited to tell these people this. He says, oh, disciples, there's more for you. So much more. You're not who you want to be? Well, yeah. (laughs) He calls himself the chief of sinners later. He understands this. This But also, there is more. We can take now our life, and Jesus attaches himself to it. Let's go live that way. Live that life. So he comes to these people and does this. And, And as that goes on, Um, He enters the synagogue, for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So he does his normal method. Gets to this town, goes to this Jewish minority that is his family. Again, last week we talked about his vow. He is extremely, this is a poor way to say it, but he is still extremely Jewish. He follows Jewish customs. He, he practices Jewish vows. He finds home and company with Jewish people. He sees them as family, treats them as family, knows to go take the gospel there first. He can communicate with them well. This is, these are his people. And then when that begins to go poorly, or if, or if they kick him out, or if they threaten him with death in other towns, he goes and says, okay, that's fine. I'll go and teach the Greeks. I'll go and teach the Gentiles. And so when he does it here, he goes to this hall of Tyrannus. Has anyone heard of this before? You don't have to have. I just wonder. So it's basically a school. It's, it's, a, it's more than a debate center for the town. It's, it's a place of education. The hall would probably be at this, I didn't call it this then, but this like university in Ephesus, this one main university, they had this hall there that would be used during the day. And, and some manuscripts talk about he would teach there from the fifth hour to the tenth hour. So he would go basically after school gets out. They would have school in the morning. And they would, there would be, teaching there, and there would be educators of all types coming through Ephesus, and there would be a place of learning. And then however this happened, and he doesn't explain it, and note the writer doesn't explain it, but Paul gets to use this place every day. So Paul goes here consistently for two years and just reasons with people, talks with people about the kingdom of heaven at hand, reasons, debates, teaches, has guest speakers. I don't know. I don't know how that part works, but anyway, he uses this hall, this main, beautiful, very special, very um, highly sought-after hall to be able to reason. This tells us, again, a lot of things about Paul. Number one, that they thought he was worthy to use it is pretty impressive, right? That these Greeks would say, oh, this Jewish philosopher, we should, we should let him use our hall for two years, this sounds like a good use of the hall, right? So it's it, that, that he was able to do that and they didn't think this person has nothing to say, let's kick him out, is special and important. That's a big deal. Also, the fact that people came for two years is important, right? People came to listen. The educators from apparently all over Asia would come and listen to him at the hall. 
maybe as they're passing through Ephesus, maybe they had heard about how amazing it was, so they traveled there just for that. It doesn't necessarily say, but he's teaching, and the word is getting out about the kingdom of heaven all over Asia because of this situation, because he's teaching there, right? And we'll come back to it, but then it it goes on further. And God was also doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. What does that sound like? Do anyone else remember a story like that earlier in Acts? Yeah. So Peter would walk towards the temple, and people, there'd be a big crowd. So remember, they would put sick people under the shadow that would fall on him, right? And they would be healed of their sickness, right? Um, Or he would send cloths to them that he had worn on his clothes, right? People would get the cloths on his clothes and and send them somewhere. Be like, no, send this to so-and-so. She needs to be, you know, whatever. Jesus also was similar to this. People come up and touch his clothes. Power goes out of him and heals them, right? So we have this, the miraculous is also a part of this. And we could spend forever talking about that. But then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of Jesus whenever they saw evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Now seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirits answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, and sent them out naked and injured. Now, thoughts on this story. Um, I'll start with them, so you don't have to be the one to say this. This story is, this is a crazy story to me. And it's just kind of thrown in here, which I like, and it's gonna, there's a reason it is, obviously. But there's, this is so wild to me. Paul is doing these things, healing people, um, and then there's these Jewish exorcists. And this, I don't think, um, in trying to read about this, do you remember when there was this um, one sorcerer who sought to make money on the power of the Holy Spirit, remember? And he's blind for three days. Do you remember that? He wants to, he says, I want that same power. Can you give me that power so I can do what you're doing, right? And it says he, he sought to have gain from that. And so he gets called out on it, and they're like, no, man, you just want gain from the power of the Holy Spirit. No, you're blind now, right? Or however that worked. I don't think it was like that, but he's blind. It doesn't sound, and people don't assume that's the case with these exorcists. It, the story, I think, from what, anyway, other readings, it's assumed that they're trying to do good enough. It's not that they're trying to make money on this. It's, this is what they do. They try to, like, help people through this, and then when they see that it's happening through, like, things that Paul has touched or through shadows of Peter or through whatever else, they say, well, that's a way to make people well also, right? That will also help. So maybe we'll say that, and then the power will do that as well for these, these people. So they go to this, this one, these seven sons of this Jewish high priest, go, and they try to use this because they're trying to help this person, it seems. And so they say, in the name of Jesus, and, and here's what I like about them too, they were so honest, right? They were honest in their attempt to do good. They didn't say, the name of Jesus that's within me, right? They didn't do that. They said, 
So in the name of Jesus, whom Paul discusses, right? Whom Paul preaches, the powerful one, get out of here. And then uh, they get answered with, well, I know Jesus, and I've heard of Paul, but who are you? And beats them, beats them up, and strips them naked and sends them back out to be ashamed of that and to be embarrassed, which I think is crazy. Um, so anyway, thoughts on that before I keep going. Reasonable? I think that's incredibly reasonable. I think the fact that they were high priest's sons is something that shouldn't be overlooked because then you have the offspring of the highest religious figure of the time going around and trying to drive out demons in a land that's that they would have been taught against and taught not to believe. And like I think there's a there's a significant piece in that. So that it's more like I think that's incredibly important as well. I, I think it's. I think it is very, very important that it's that they are the high priest's son. I think it's mentioned for a reason. If it was the sons of Kevin Evers. It's very different than being the sons of the high priest at the time. I agree. What else? What else is interesting about this? You should most certainly. If you're if you're debating, you definitely should. <laughs> They're, they're not of the Spirit. And I think, and I, I want to stay on, on all three of these things because I feel like that's the, these stories, again, are in succession here about, about this town. There's tons of things to say about Paul's time in Ephesus, but we get these stories, right? We get, we get some on purpose. Um, I think it's incredibly important that before this story about the sons of Sceva, which everyone, and again, it talks about what happened in the aftermath of this, and what happened was incredible in the aftermath of this. But it's in succession. And first, they talk about the baptism of repentance versus this, or in coordination with, I shouldn't say versus at all, in coordination with the baptism of Jesus and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? It talks about this. It talks about how that is incredibly different. And the 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 actual being the representation of Jesus and taking the Holy Spirit with you is very, very different than evoking the name of anything, right? It's very, very different. Also, talking about this, them as the high priest's son, when the synagogue has now rebuked Paul and said, you're no longer welcome here, and if you're going to go speak, it needs to be somewhere else. He goes to um, this hall of Tyrannus, this school, to begin teaching and debating and reasoning, and then the, the fact that they're, they're trying to evoke that is incredibly significant. The fact that, that it's, first of all, 
that the high priest's sons know that that's how things are going on, that that's how people are being healed, is incredible. Let's, let's be honest about that. The fact that they know that this is what Paul's doing and people are being made well and people's evil spirits are being removed from them and people are, are heal, being healed from sick, that, that, is, that is incredible. So the fact that the knowledge of that is pervasive right now in this major, important, influential city of the time is, is worth noting for sure. And the fact that, yes, that, that they are the sons of the high priest trying to evoke something that their father would be greatly against at this time, that, that everything about them would be against, to try to use that and maybe try to twist that for themselves and try to twist that in a way that is definitely against the way of Jesus is, is unique. And, and what happens in doing that is that the world shames that. It doesn't even go well. It's not like so many other situations where someone tries to um, use the name of Jesus for their own benefit and they become rich from it, right? They become wealthy. They, they're able to monetize. Uh, yep, thank you. Thank you. That's what I need. Someone else that can talk. So monetize the name of Jesus and it works for them because that makes us all extremely crazy. But it doesn't here. And in fact, it leaves them humiliated and ashamed enough for everyone to have heard the story and then continuing, this is how that goes. Um, Jesus I knew, Paul I recognized, but who are you? And the man who, with whom the evil spirit was within leapt on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, <clears throat> and the name of Jesus was extolled. Also, many who were of those who were now believers, they came confessing, divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of those and found that 50,000 pieces of silver had been paid to them. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So it, it, it's, it's so, this story became so powerful among the city and it was so important and so frightening for those who maybe sought to use the name of Jesus this way or had been a part of exorcisms or had been a part of this, whether it was magic, it says dark arts here, that's a strangely translated word, but it, it's all these other ways, these spiritual-ish things are so afraid of kind of what took place and the differences of power, they come in and they say, no, no, we want to leave all this, and they burn these books and it even hits their pockets, which again, next week is a big story on that. But I think, and, and we can look at all of these different stories, and we can look at each of them and talk about each of them for a week or two. But the overwhelming thing, and I was talking to the guys about it this morning, uh, after we were setting up, when we, when we take communion back there, that the overwhelming part to me on these stories is that when this group of, of people comes to town, Paul and... Um, Paulus and Priscilla and Aquila have gone to, to Corinth, and they're not there. Um, but Timothy and Silas and these other apostles, these other disciples, I mean, with him. The, the kingdom of heaven and the gospel at hand in those cities goes to everyone. I mean, at first it goes to this minority of people who are just living this way of the kingdom based on repentance alone. And the gospel finds them as 
as in need of the kingdom of heaven, in need of Jesus' self, and goes to them. So that they not only have to experience this gospel of, of repentance only, and of conviction only, and of I need to be forgiven only, but it gives them life. Real life. Life that's truly life, right? Life to the full that Jesus talks about. All those things gives them that. And then from there, it goes to these well-educated in the city and across this region of a, of a nation, of an empire that really counts itself as important because it's changing the world by learning, by reading, by knowledge, by, by being progressive in this way. And the gospel finds it important to go to them. The Spirit of God meets them in the hall of Tyrannus. And, and as things are being taught there and philosophy is being learned there, people also come for the kingdom of heaven that's at hand. They come for Jesus, who is the way. And it catches on and is enjoyed by that sect of people. And then also, it goes to these that are this, and it, and it may not be the same now, and it may have been much more socially acceptable, but it's this underbelly of, of dark arts. This underbelly of spirituality for gain, right? This underbelly of, of selfish healing, this, this way that we would all feel maybe dirty coming out of, right? Or it seems just as dark. And a lot of it's very evil. And a lot of it's just kind of gross. And a lot of it just doesn't make sense and a lot of it people don't want to be a part of and it goes to all of those places and i i love that those are the stories that are talked about in this town as we're introduced to them going to this town because i think we forget a lot of times that the kingdom of heaven goes to all really and we'll find a way and with this team of people with paul it was very unique because paul truly was becoming all things to all people and could talk to all of those groups of people. Could go and talk to those coming from another part of the country just to learn, right? And could speak openly with them and reason with them very well and successfully. And enough for them to keep coming back and him to be able to do that for two years, them allowing him to be this, you know, itinerant professor almost at this place. And that's, that's beautiful in its way. And then this minority of people that had their own set culture and their own ways he understood because he was one of them and could also teach there and help people to repent in that way and that that worked very well and yes they removed him and said no no more from you that's it but he stayed there for months and and found disciples there and did that and then this dark underbelly of society that people didn't understand and people wrote books about about how the world was trying to leave that way because we were going into a new world of learning those folks as well came and said no we want to repent of these practices and become part of this this kingdom of heaven. And that makes these stories in succession really beautiful to me. And it, it makes me, again, wonder, and we talked about this some last week, and like three weeks before, and five weeks before, it makes me wonder who I think the kingdom of heaven is for. Because I think, and I've, I've debated this with myself a lot lately, I think, it's like, no, I think the kingdom of heaven is for all. You know, we say a lot that, that Yes, it's for all, but the least of these have been forgotten, so we'll go to the fringes or to the least of these. Well, no, the kingdom is for the least of these. But really, where our feet go shows who we really think it's for. It does. Where we dinner, where we birthday party, 
where we shop, where we friend, shows who we think the kingdom of heaven is really for. It does. Not who we spend, I'll say, not who we spend a weekend under the bridge once a year with. That's, that's not really true that we think it's for that, it doesn't seem, if that's the amount of time we give that. Where our feet go, where we live, where we life, that is who we think the kingdom is for. And so I've been caught by this as we've gone through Acts, to be honest. I've been, I've been so caught by who, who Lily and I are telling Asher and Tovin the kingdom is for. Because we take them certain places, right? We have friends that they know. They all know you as like aunts and uncles. They have so many aunts and uncles, and they love it. It's great. And we take them to certain friends' houses, right? We shop at certain places with them. We go to certain parades. We go to some museums. And we are teaching them with where we walk, with where we library, with what we discuss, with who we friend, who the kingdom of heaven is for. And, and Paul seemed to truly think it was for all. Truly. That he would go talk to a sorcerer and blind him for his own good, or for the kingdom's good. That he would go and be a part of, of you know, magicians coming to repent to him. That he would welcome them and repent with them. That he would, with his, with his own community, his, his small portion of the city, go and dine with them and eat with them. But then also he would go and teach with the high class and the learned and all that. That he would truly think that the gospel was for everyone. And he really did aspire, and actually not just aspire so he could tell people and feel good, he actually aspired to be all things to all people. And I just wonder if we agree with that, really. Or if we think, well, I'll go to the people I'm comfortable with, the other people will go to their comfortable with, God will surely get someone else to go there, and then that's how we do it now. That it's changed, and so that's really all we it works this way. When maybe we are the agent of that. And maybe we are truly, it's not joking when we are asked to take the gospel to the world. To, to the total. That we would go and, and understand that when it said go take the gospel to a man, it wasn't man, it was the human kindness. Like go take it to all people. And I, I want us, I, I do want us to take that so seriously, and I want us to understand that, that sometimes we lie to ourselves on this one. Our us does lie to itself on this. We say we're for everyone to hear the gospel. We have certain people that we life with, and they're kind of the same as the other people here, to be really honest. Now, again, there's some of you I know doing different things, and I'm not saying you're not doing what you are doing, and I know you are. I'm not saying you're not really going to live life with these people and do. I'm not saying that. But as a whole, the us, I don't know that we do this. And I think there needs to be a time of we understand that and we repent of that and we take steps to actually live the kingdom like we are listening to the kingdom being lived if we believe that. And if we say that's truly best and that's truly beautiful and that works that way, if we're going to say we believe that, we need to put our feet there. Maybe we 
skip a birthday party so we can go to a different one. Maybe we change our ways so we get invited to different ones. I mean, all the things, right? All the things. Uh, and that's like a, not a fun, exciting place for us to end on. Just don't have any other thing to say about it. That's, that's where I've been kind of wrestling and struggling for the last months. And I, I want us as an us to be able to do that and to be able to wrestle with that together and to struggle with it a little bit together and understand that we're trying to press forward in that together, okay?